really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game literally wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me a good old email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, as always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend. There is a lot to talk about. We may even run a tad long this time, so let's get right to it. So starting with our current updates, as always, you know what? This weekend wasn't just jam-packed with incredible rugby. It was also my son's seventh birthday party. Uh, Because of COVID, this was the first time we'd actually been able to get a group of kids together, and it was a ton of fun. We rented this little sort of party room at a great place called Trombetta's Farm, where they have a cool mini golf course inside an absolutely massive old greenhouse. And apart from the mini golf, they have antiques, garden supplies, most importantly to my kid, ice cream. (laughs) So it was a real treat to see all his little buddies come and fuss over him. And while it was a ton of work to organize, it was worth every minute. Uh, His actual birthday is Wednesday tomorrow as we record this. But this was a perfect chance to have fun with his classmates and buddies from camp and so on. And while I assure you this isn't a paid plug, if you're a listener in Massachusetts and you're in the market for something similar, I highly recommend this place. It was fantastic. They're a great family running a great business. Two thumbs up. Well, Isa, I guess none of us know if it's good or bad news at this stage, but as you probably already know, Scott Robertson, coach of the, of the Crusaders down in New Zealand, will be the next head coach of the All Blacks. So quoting from the BBC, quote, Crusaders coach Scott Robertson will succeed Ian Foster as head coach of the All Blacks after this year's World Cup. Quote, it's an honor to be named as the next All Blacks head coach, unquote, said 48-year-old Robertson. Quote, it's a job that comes with a huge amount of responsibility, but I'm excited by the opportunity to make a contribution to the legacy of the black jersey. To represent your country as a coach or a player is the ultimate honor in sport, and it's humbling to be given that opportunity. I can't wait, unquote. Foster came under pressure last year after a run of poor results, including a home series defeat by Ireland and the All Blacks' first loss to New Z- uh, in New Zealand to Argentina. Following a review in August 20, uh, 2022, the New Zealand Rugby Board agreed that he should remain as coach until after the World Cup. He then guided the side to an eighth rugby championship title and an undefeated tour of the Northern Hemisphere at the end of last year. Earlier this month, Foster said he would not reapply for the job when his contract expires after this year's World Cup, but criticized NZR for conducting its search in the middle of his tournament preparations. NZR said significant competition for elite coaching talent meant that they could not delay, unquote. So this has seemed like an inevitable move for, I I would say, years now. Um, But while it seems like a, you know, sort of a smart and exciting piece of news, I'm definitely a little bit disappointed in how Ian Foster has been treated. And I wonder how this might affect their overall performance in the upcoming World Cup. We'll see. 
Moving on to our thoughts of the week, you know, my thoughts this week are definitely with Stuart Hogg, who has announced his retirement after the upcoming World Cup. Well, I feel like I've said World Cup 19 times already. To echo the sentiments of my pals at the Scottish Rugby Podcast, I assumed he'd be, you know, dialing it back a bit, maybe even be outside of selection for any future Six Nations tournaments, but I didn't think he was on the verge of just outright calling it quits. Hoggy was one of the first players I ever sort of just spotted and thought, wow, that guy's got something special. And I think I've been following him basically the entire time I've been watching international rugby. I've seen him come under some pretty heavy criticism at times, sometimes for, for a performance, but mostly for silly, I guess, cosmetic stuff. And I have to wonder if that feeling of being sort of fed up with the guff he gets on social media played a big part in this decision. Either way, I'm going to very much miss him. I, I think knowing this is going to make watching the Rugby World Cup in France, yeah, I said it again, just feel all the more special knowing those fixtures will be the last chance I have to watch him play. Stuart Hogg. You have been one of the all-time greats for Scotland, and I, for one, thank you for all you've done over the years. Best of luck to you and your whole family. You will be sorely missed, my friend. Okay, time, of course, to get into our reviews, and this week we're starting off with Women's Six Nations, but i got to start with a little bit of a caveat here. So as you probably recall, I had planned to do a big preview episode with the amazing Rachel Law, but I kind of ended up dropping the ball on that one. So we're waiting until the rest weekend to do a sort of recap slash predictions pod. So because of that, I'm only doing scores for this episode and for next week's, but don't worry, we'll have plenty to talk about with these fixtures very soon. So Wales versus Ireland was up first and Wales absolutely smashed Ireland, uh, winning 31 to five at Cardiff Arms Park. England versus Scotland was the other Saturday game, but and you know, sadly, but much as you'd expect, England completely dominated the Scots, blowing them away 58 to seven. And then on Sunday, Italy versus France ended up the most competitive of the round. Italy losing 12 to 22 in Parma. Again, my apologies for not having a lot more to say about these games, but I promise I will make it up to you. So next up, we'll take a look at the URC and over in the IRC, people were, when I did the little poll this week, people were pretty divided on what was going to be the game of the week with Ospreys versus Dragons actually leading the voting for quite a while before being overtaken by our eventual winner, Munster versus Glasgow. For that, I was grateful because it just felt like the implications for the postseason were greatest, you know, this one depending on the on this result above all the others. And it, it felt like an incredibly close matchup too, on paper at least, both teams on pretty serious runs coming in. So this was Glasgow's first visit to Thoman Park in four and a half years, and they arrived having lost just a single game in their last dozen, though, you know, to be fair, Munster were looking hotter and hotter by the week as well. The Warriors struck first, but both sides looked a little, I mean, I don't know if I should say tight or loose, but either way, they just weren't really firing on all cylinders. After just about a half hour, it was Miotti sli uh, slicing through to grab one of his own. Suddenly, it was a 21-point shutout. Heading towards the break, Glasgow were not done, however, securing the bonus point try just before halftime. The crowd in Limerick stunned. So Miotti, he was having a heck of a game. It was his drop goal that opened up the scoring in the second stanza. And by the way, the momentum was so completely in Glasgow's favor that after yet another turnover deep in their own territory, uh, territory it was Vailanu with a quick tap and go as if he was about to run 80 meters for another score before the ref whistled him back. I kind of wanted to see that. The Warriors, my friends, were absolutely on fire at this stage. Quote, a little bit of desperation creeping in now, unquote, said the comms, and it was it was plain to see that the Munster players looking frustrated at every turn. 
However, at the 52-minute mark, they finally smashed one down. The crowd, appreciative and never giving up, always a good showing at home. As they scored their second unanswered try, the entire place came alive. The belief was there. Glasgow seemed to have lost all the momentum they'd gathered up until then. Speaking of Vailanu, it was he who'd get the next try, and hysterically, he slammed the ball down in celebration, and it just bounced right back up and tagged him in the face, though either he didn't notice or he did an amazing job pretending not to notice. Uh, the frustration I mentioned earlier began to audibly creep into the comms as well at that point, seemingly incredulous about the poor decision-making by the home side. Glasgow's defense, though, softened up a bit for sure. Um, I, I guess they knew it was too late for the comeback that Munster would need. By the end, Franco Smith's team continued rolling, taking a huge prize at Munster, the, the home team's five-game winning streak broken. Though after being up nil to 31, it was not a flattering total for the visitors, being outscored 26-7 to through the second half. But Warriors winning in the end, 26-38. to Phew! So... Zebre versus Cardiff was our first offering of the round. Zebre managed to score first, and in the final minutes, they were down just four points with a man advantage, possibly their best shot at a W all year. But sadly, that's where it would end. Another loss, 30-34 to 34 at the end. And quick side note, anyone else notice how weird the Cardiff kit looks? I finally realized it's because the bottom part of the jersey is the same color as the shorts, which makes it look like every player has just pulled his shorts up way too high. They look like, I don't know, the Cardiff octogenarians or something. So moving on to Leinster versus Stormers, it looked like the best chance all year for a team to actually take down the invincible juggernaut that is Leinster with a full noise reigning champion squad facing a team that had about 162 players taking it easy after securing a grand slam the previous weekend. Stormers were led out by Stephen Kitsoff, flanked by a couple little kids. It was obvious he was desperately trying not to crush the teeny little bones in their tiny hands. So it was pissing down rain and crazy wind in stark contrast to what the, the Stormers have been used to in the sultry heat of South Africa. I wondered out loud if that would be a factor at all. Uh, once again, nobody's listening. Uh, Stormers led at the half 5-17. to 17. The next two try scores, though, were all Leinster. They appeared to take control, but... This one came right down to the wire, knotted at 22 with two and a half minutes to go, and in the end, Leinster booted it out to escape with a draw, remaining unbeaten on the season. Amazing stuff. Stormers, they really kind of bottled it there at the end. So Benetton versus Lions was next. Benetton jumped out early and carried a 21-10 lead into the lockers at halftime, but things changed pretty dramatically entering the final quarter of play. The Lions suddenly just began tearing through a suddenly porous defense, getting two tries in two minutes, then a third still within a 10-minute frame. Presto, it was 28-32 to 32 as we hit the 70-minute mark. Just crazy. And that's, in fact, where it would end. A shocking come-from-behind win for the Lions. Incredible stuff. Finally, we had Ospreys versus Dragons. Ospreys led by a factor of three, 18 to six as we went into the break. Dragons unable to find the try line. Things got a bit crazy in the second half. Dragons getting a red, but Ospreys exchanging one player for two as they piled up two concurrent yellows. But the score was pretty much out of reach by then anyway. 37 to 18 was the final score. Dragons really struggling. So Connacht versus Edinburgh was another frustrating performance for Edinburgh fans, though as a Connacht supporter, things are looking rather shiny at the moment, I gotta say. Uh, my guys put in six tries to Edinburgh's four. That makes five wins in a row with just the two rounds remaining. Those will be a home game against Cardiff and then an away fixture to Glasgow, but it's a possibility the Warriors will be resting some of their regular starters if they've secured a home playoff fixture. 
So there has to be some joy in Galway right now at the moment. Final score in this one, 41 to 26. Scarlets, we're back at the Parky Scarlets to take on the Sharks. Scarlets seem, so, seem surprised to find themselves with the lead at the break. They really clamped down and kept the Sharks from doing much of anything, coming out winners 32 to 20 at the end. Ulster versus Bulls was the final fixture of the round. The Bulls looked in charge for the first half, leading 12 to 20, but Ulster must have taken a, <laughs> like had a, a serious talking to, I guess, in the sheds because they just came out firing in the second half. By the three-quarter mark, they found themselves ahead 26 to 20. Bulls finally got a penalty, but it was Ulster overtaking them and putting a, 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 losing, a losing bonus point out of reach, 32 to 23, to finish off the weekend in the URC. Really entertaining round. Okay, up next, moving over to the Gallagher Premiership, our game of the week was, of course, Saracens versus Harlequins. At the top, the comms made a big, big deal out of the fact that it was played at Tottenham. I haven't the foggiest idea why it was played there or why I should care. Speaking of the comms, by the way, I think I finally put my finger on what's so annoying about Austin Healy. To me, it's his constant level of incredulity at the officiating. Like, all commentators will say something if they if they think, you know, there was a particularly bad call or a bad non-call, but they'll typically say things like, hmm, that one might have gone the other way, or uh, they might want to take a look at that one. Whereas with Austin Healy, he'll be like, how on earth did they call that? How can they even keep playing this game? It's an absolute farce. And, and like, he does this like 45 times a game. I feel like, hey, dude. I was enjoying this game until you informed me it's absolute garbage. Can I please go back to liking rugby? Anyway, sorry for that. He just, he really got to me this time. In his defense, there was a great bit where he said someone had dived over the line, then questioned his own grammar saying, dived? Is that a word? Dove? To which Andy Good replied, that's a bird. <laughs> so, Harlequins, they looked fantastic at the start. It was Dom Brandt smashing his way through for a great try to start the scoring, but... Saracens are Saracens. They went on a run of 22 unanswered points to finish off the opening 40 minutes. It was hard to see Quinn's coming back at that stage. You know, usually being being 15 or 20 points up on Saracens, even late in the game, isn't enough. So being down 15 at the break looked like a giant hill to climb. Harlequins did manage to score first in the second half, but the home team clamped down and got the next two tries, the latter of which was surprisingly Maro Toje's first try of the season. Wow. Billy Vonapola, he had a fantastic game on both sides of the ball, winning player of the match and helping his team to a convincing and thorough victory, denying Quinns even a losing bonus point and likely ending their top-tier hopes of the year, 36-24 to 24 in this one. So Newcastle versus Gloucester got the round actually started off on Friday. An early red card against the Falcons looked like it might sort of doom them, but Gloucester only managed one score the entire rest of the way. They would lose 17-12 to 12 by the end. Very hard to figure out either of these teams right now. Uh, Leicester versus Bristol was, uh, I swear, this one began with, I kid you not, an air guitar battle between Tigers mascots to the tune of Smoke on the Water. Of course. Could it be anything else? If anyone knows why they have two mascots, by the way, please let me know. I'm kind of curious. In any event. The yellow against the Bears approaching the final quarter seemed to open the floodgates, and the reigning champs were happy to take advantage, putting their guests to bed with an insult-to-injury try right at the death. This uh, sort of sparked a bit of an altercation, where Genge seemed to blow his stack a bit, but at least the way I was watching it, the broadcast just switched off at that point before they even attempted the extra points, by the way. Not sure what happened there, but either way, it did end 46-24 to for Leicester. 
Uh, London Irish versus Northampton had the Exiles wearing their weird little like lime green shoulder kits, but they were winning again at home, 37 to 22. What is it? What on earth is going on with the Saints right now? I just can't figure it out. Bath versus Exeter was our final offering in the Prem. Bath held a slim lead at halftime. And, you know, it's it seems like without their idiotic racist chance back at home, the Chiefs just aren't the same team. They would fall in the end 36 to 19 to give Bath just their fourth home win on the season. Wow. Okay, moving over to France and the top 14. You know, by the way, this time I completely agreed with our online poll, which made Stade Francais versus Racing 92 the game of the week. Cards on the table, apart from this actual match, I had to give this entire round a miss. What with the Free Jacks home game on Saturday and a kid's birthday party on Sunday. Sadly, the replay of this game, despite being listed as clocking in at about four hours in length, started somehow at the half hour mark with the racing player getting red carded for an offense I didn't get to see. So it was a bit of an odd watch. Um, it was a low scoring match. It was three to ten when I joined, at least. Despite the player advantage, Stad just couldn't get anything going. They met, it's funny, the comms mentioned how poor Racing's defense has been all season, but they apparently picked today to change that, completely shutting down every opportunity for their opponents. It was truly remarkable. The players on the sidelines were beyond fired up. In the second half, it was much of the same. Headed into the final 10 minutes, it was 6-17. to 17. By the way, your answer this week is 61. The 61-minute mark was when they finally made the obligatory Christian Wade actually used to play in the NFL comment, which was too bad because I definitely had the under on that bet this week. Anywho, the men in pink looked like they were out of ideas and out of gas, but we were in for a bizarro ending. So it was almost as if Stade Francais just didn't even know how much time was left on the clock because they were just taking their sweet time with every little thing, including getting into their set pieces. But they, they, so they finally managed to score a try in the corner with just a couple minutes on the clock. But then on the ensuing drive, they turned it over. And you know that thing players do where they just won't hand the ball over to the, the team that's one possession just to kind of be annoying and, and, and sort of get them really riled up? Yeah, they did that to Rassing. Right then, guys, you have like 90 seconds. Why are you delaying the resumption of play? Just a, a bit of a boneheaded day all around for the hosts, I'd say. 13 to 17 was the, the first one I watched and the first uh, away win of the week in the top 14. A rarity, and believe me, there was more to come. Okay, as I said, I wasn't able to catch any of the other action, unfortunately, this round, but I do have scores for you. With Cast versus Toulouse first on the docket, Cast came away comfortable winners at home, 27 to 17. Bayon versus Post are second road win for the round, 20 to 30 for the visitors. Then Lyon versus Toulon made it three away wins just so far, 23 to 27, a huge result for Toulon, by the way. Clermont versus Brive sort of brought us back to normal with the home team just smashing their guests who were laboring under two red cards. Uh, 38 to 20 was the final in that one. Perpignan versus Montpellier made it four, count them, four road wins so far on the weekend, completely flipping the tables on the usual way of things. Montpellier squeaking one out by a single point, 22 to 23. And finally, Bordeaux-Begle versus La Rochelle was the fifth road win of the week. I mean, I'm honestly shocked right now. This one, an emphatic victory where the Border Beagles couldn't manage a single try, going down 6-36 to 36 in a surprisingly poor showing. Weird round in the top 14. 
Okay, swinging all the way down to Super Rugby Pacific. And, you know, so I have to wonder if the poll results this week reflected my listeners' appreciation for my own biases. Thank you very much. Because rather than Crusaders versus Brumbies being voted the game of the week, you all selected my Highlanders who were taking on the Fijian Drua. What do you know? So this one started out very slowly, both sides just kind of feeling each other out before Lamani got the first score for the visitors after about a quarter hour. And man, oh man, their fans sure do travel well. There was just a huge contingency of fans wearing Fijian gear, wa uh, waving flags, just generally carrying on. They bring so much atmosphere to these contests. I love it. There was even a great shot that sort of set it all with throngs of Drua fans just losing their minds while some Highlanders fans sitting nearby just kind of watched and grinned. It's just so infectious. There's no way you can there's no way you can not like it, even if you're a fan for the other team. So of course, it just took about a minute or so for my guys to answer back with Ainsley powering over to level the score. The home side clearly came in with a game plan to attack the breakdown, and it really started to re uh, yield results. They must have seen something on tape during the week's prep. They began to force turnovers over and over, with one by Harmon leading immediately to a powerful try by DeGroote. Holy cow, that man is a monster. So that spark just really gave them some momentum. It was two more tries in quick succession to build a commanding lead, 28-7, to just after a half hour. However, a yellow card... Uh, <laughs> a yellow card for being what I think the refs called, quote, excessively offside, unquote, sort of put a damper on things. The comms seemed convinced, by the way, that the ref had sent the wrong guy to the bin. Just a weird little moment for sure. Anyway, right at the stroke of 40 minutes, it was Mitch Hunt getting his 10th career try, and it was 33-12 to 12, headed to the locker room. Just three minutes then into the second half, it was Aaron Smith, or as they like to say, Aaron Smith getting over the line. This was definitely the best the Highlanders have looked all year. Really encouraging signs at Forsyth Bar. Um, Highlanders, they broke the 50-point mark with just a few minutes remaining. Came away huge winners on the day. That's two in a row after a dreadful start. I wonder if it's time to start having a little bit of that old hope. Maybe? No, no. Gotta stay away. Gotta stay away. 57 to 24, all told. So, Crusaders versus Brumbies was the first game of the actual weekend, and right off the bat, the comms were complaining pretty openly about the side that the Brumbies selected to come with them to Christchurch, opting to leave more than 200 caps of experience back in Canberra. Crusaders were definitely pretty banged up in terms of injuries, but still felt like kind of a give-up move, especially given they hadn't beaten the Crusaders since 2009. Holy cow. In any event, this one unfolded pretty much as you'd expect. Crusaders just kind of putting it on cruise control and rolling over the Brumbies 35-17 to at home. Waratahs versus Chiefs. This, this one, you know, on paper, looked like it should be a complete romp, but the teams were actually tied at halftime. Oh, and here's a stat for you. At that break, the Chiefs had 20 rucks inside the opposition 22, and the Taz had, yep, zero. Wow. So Chiefs did pull away in the second half, however, but it was it was never the dominant performance I'd kind of expected. It was 14 to 24 at the end. The visitors remaining undefeated. Moana Pacifica versus Hurricanes was next, and oh man, it was a gorgeous evening. The the sun just kind of lazily drifting down behind the stands in the cerulean sky. Canes unsurprisingly struck first, but it appeared Lester's younger brother Tima Fainga Anuku leveled it up before that one was waved off. Hurricanes led 19 to nil at the break, and there was just no let up in the second half. Hurricanes shutting out their hosts and racking up 59 points along the way. Unbelievable. So Rebels versus the Reds saw the Rebels looking pretty strong right out of the gates, managing a 12-point lead going into the break. But this one ended up 
pretty exciting as as it got late on in the game. The hosts just managing to hold on for a six point victory in a very high scoring affair. It was forty to thirty four. Blues versus the Forest was the last fixture in the round. It quickly turned into a beatdown. Kind of a disappointing way to end the round, I'll say. But you know, Blues they were up eighteen to nil just past a half hour, and then oh my word. Blues, they're just so silky smooth. Mark Talea, the recipient of a godlike offload, and you just knew it wasn't going to work out for the visitors on the day. It was 30-17, to 17, the final score, to end this weekend and another round in Super Rugby. I love it. So making a sort of lateral move over to finish off our weekend in the Southern Hemisphere, it was, of course, the finals and the third-place finish for Super Rugby Alpiki, starting off with the Blues women versus the Hurricanes Poa, that was our third place fixture and was an absolute cracker. The Pua continued their trend of scoring within the first 10 minutes, something they've done literally all season long. They ended up coming away winners 29 to 24. Both teams scored four tries, but Hurricanes got one more conversion and a penalty to account for that slim five point difference. And then, oh, my friends, it was Chiefs Manawa versus Matatu. Oh, my word. This out of all these competitions may have been our actual game of the week what a result chiefs unbeaten throughout this competition and coming in as heavy favorites went up 19 nil to start things off but there was just no quit in this matatu side right at the top ruby tui who has been excellent on comms said there was a bit of an edge something different she saw in that squad during the lead up and she was spot on as usual the visitors clawed back in it and then eventually took a lead followed by just a seesaw back and forth with Chiefs Manawa reclaiming the, uh, reclaiming the advantage late and looking like they were going to put it away. But Matatu, they were not to be deterred, claiming a two-point edge with only a couple minutes left. But the hosts, whew, they just marched right on down the field, drew a penalty to give themselves a shot at goal to seal the victory as the clock went red. But, oh my word, it was Tanika Willison missing a fairly easy one, at least for her. She's been so damn good this season. And suddenly, boom, it was ecstasy for the women in blue. A shocking victory and an unreal ending to an insane contest. Pure joy for the underdog winners and despondency for the favored home side who will have to wait until next year to seek their revenge. Going down 31 to 33 in an absolute classic barn burner. Holy cow. More please, Super Rugby Alpiki. More. Okay, from there, we would hop on our plane and take the, I'm guessing, like a 22-hour flight all the way back here to the States for Major League Rugby. And as usual, we'll begin with my beloved Free Jacks, who were home again to face the Dallas Jackals. I have to say, lots of fans were expecting a massive blowout for our team, but I came in a, a little bit worried, I have to say. Um, I really appreciated that our coaches sent out an email mentioning that we would, in fact, be resting some of our starters for this one, which I thought was probably a good idea. But still, I don't know. It, it felt like the team, a little bit the team, but mostly we fans were just edging dangerously close to overconfidence going into this one. One of the changes, however, was, of course, Joel Hintz getting his first start. I was psyched to see how that was going to go. I don't know. I've just instantly taken a shine to him, and he did not disappoint. What a performance by him. So, of course, the elephant in the room was it was a freaking terrible day out. Just like on opening day, it had been nice all week, then suddenly turned crappy the day of the game. It's almost like we summon bad weather just to put off our opponents. Do we have a witch doctor on board? Anyway, this time, somehow, I came massively underdressed, and by the end, my partner and I were just basically a combination of soaked and chilled to the bone. However, 
we are Free Jacks fans, and we were, and all the other season ticket holders in our section stuck it out to the bitter end. A bitter end it was. Dallas looking dangerously like getting their first ever win. The Free Jacks leading just 10 to 9 as the clock approached 80. Jackals had a promising drive deep in our territory, but whew, that was when the whistle blew. It was a scrum penalty in our favor. That was it. An incredibly tight win in awful conditions. The superhuman Vian Conradi getting the only try for either side all day, and more on him in a bit. Uh, Paula Bellacana had another great showing, and Kieran McClay, he had an impressive outing at nine. One of the absolute highlights, though, was after a not insignificant little scuffle, Connor Keyes kissing one of the visitors on the head to dispel the tension, which somehow worked. You'd almost think like it just would have completely blown things up, but it was like everyone just kind of went, oh, oh, okay, okay. You know what? <laughs> That's enough for now. Classic stuff. There's a great video of it, actually, on the, uh, the Free Jacks Instagram feed, if you're foolish enough to not be following them already. So 10-9 to 9 was indeed your final score. I've heard a little bit of complaining about a performance in the days since that, but to me, it showed that we can win any game in any type of condition, and for me, that says a lot about the makeup of this team so good. So elsewhere, we had DC versus NOLA, where the visiting gold got a narrow road win, edging out their hosts 17-20 to 20 in that one. Utah versus Toronto was the MLR smackdown of the week. The Warriors destroying the hapless arrows to the tune of 47 to 19. Yikes. Houston versus Atlanta was another strong showing for the Thundercats, who beat up on the rebranded Rattlers 40 to 28. And then Chicago versus Seattle was the final game of the round. The Second City Pups were back to their early season form, dropping another home game by the Take No Prisoners Seawolves 5 to 27. The amazing thing. They didn't actually finish this game. Um, my guess is it would have been much worse on the scoreline if they hadn't uh, canceled it, but Lightning caused them to call it early and, and just record the result then. MLR, you just get more interesting by every round. Well... My friends, by that music, you will know. It's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the award goes to Vian Conradi of my own beloved Free Jacks. Mr. Conradi, for me, you've been our MVP throughout the early season. This weekend was much the same with you, getting the only try from either side all day while continuing to absolutely tear up trees and wreak havoc on the opposition. Your toughness, your incredible durability, your 100% tackle rate, and your just unique combination of physical power and rugby IQ made the difference for our team on a very tough day. So, Vian Conradi, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. So, that of course brings us to our updates and previews. Next weekend is round two of the Women's Six Nations. That's going to feature Ireland hosting France, Scotland versus Wales at the goddamn and of course, England versus Italy. Then staying mostly in Europe, this weekend takes us back to the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup, where we're getting into the round of 16 featuring, in the Heineken Cup, Leicester versus Edinburgh, Sharks versus Munster, ooh, Stormers versus Harlequins, La Rochelle versus Gloucester, Leinster versus Ulster. I saw some things this week about how Ulster are ready for this one, and they're, they're good to go, and they, they can win this. Uh, come on. Come on. Anyway, Exeter will host Montpellier. Won't be watching that. 
Toulouse will host the Bulls, and then Saracens versus the Ospreys. <laughs> Yikes. So, meanwhile, in the Milwaukee's Best Light Cup, we'll have Bristol versus Claremont, Scarlets versus Breve, Toulon versus the Cheetahs, Stade Francais versus Lyon, Benetton versus Connacht, the Lions versus Racing, Glasgow versus the Dragons, and finally, Cardiff versus Sale. Meanwhile, down in Super Rugby Pacific, we'll have Moana Pacifica taking on by Highlanders. The Reds will be facing the Crusaders. Yikes. Uh, the Drua will face the Rebels. Chiefs versus Blues. Brumbies versus Waratahs. And finally, Hurricanes versus the Western Force. And, of course, back home here in Major League Rugby, it's Utah hosting my Free Jacks. Go Free Jacks! Dallas will try yet again to get their first win against the stumbling Toronto Arrows. I kind of favor them in this one. Chicago, they're going to host Houston. Nola will take on Seattle. And the New York Bereavement Counselors welcome Atlanta. And then, of course, San Diego are back at the Snapdragon to face D.C. Well, my friends, that does it for another week, and I am freaking exhausted. I actually think I'm still chilled to the core from the Freejax game on Saturday, where I admit I came woefully unprepared for what the weather was going to be like. Every time it's been cold at a home game so far, it's been no problem. I was prepared, maybe even over-prepared, but this time, I didn't wear a real coat. What hubris! Anyway, never again. That is for sure. So, as always... Thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.